Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The interfaith connection between Atlanta's historic Ebenezer Baptist Church and the Reformed Jewish Congregation of the Temple dates back to the 1950s with the shared activism and friendship between the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rabbi Jacob Rothschild. The ties remain strong to this day, as we'll hear in a musical example of fellowship later this hour, a recording called Better Angels, with songs by Rabbi Michael Lapidus and Ebenezer vocalist Melvin Kindle Miles. First, pianist Lara Downs has described ragtime as the overture to the music of the 20th century. The American composer Scott Joplin is often referred to as the king of ragtime, though he was classically trained and wrote other forms of music, including opera. Lara Downs' new album of Scott Joplin's music is titled Reflections, Scott Joplin Reconsidered. She joins us now via Zoom to talk about the recording. Lara, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you, Lois. It's so great to be here. So what inspired the Joplin recording? (laughs) Memories. I think memories. I'm sure that many of your listeners can relate to the memory of playing Joplin's The Entertainer when we were little kids. Mm -hmm. For me, you know, by the time I played The Entertainer, I was six or seven I was already a very serious little pianist. So playing this fun little ragtime piece was a treat. It was something, you know, very different than the the Mozart and the Bach that was happening. And I mean, I I remember seeing the movie, The Sting. My mom took us to see the movie. It It was a matinee at the old Castro Theater in San Francisco. And just, you know, entering a new sound world. What was a new sound world for me? And falling in love with it and, you know, obviously through a child's experience, but that came back to me in a different way in recent years. The entertainer, as heard on your new recording, is in an unusual arrangement. because of the implications of that memory, of that childhood memory, I struggled a little bit with what to do with the entertainer. The other tunes were really easy for me to envision and I was clear about what I wanted to do with them and what I wanted them to say and what they said to me. And the entertainer, you know, we know it so well. It's like so embedded in our sound memories. And so I was back and forth about different things. And I didn't just want to do something like cute, you know, for the purpose of doing something cute. And then I realized that the whole 
the, the answer to the puzzle was just staring me in the face. Joplin on the title page of that piece dedicates it to James Brown and his mandolin club. Different James Brown, not the R&B right. James Brown. <laughs> he wasn't born but, yet. But some, <laughs> he was not born yet. But some James Brown at the in, you know turn of the century who had a mandolin club, which was a very popular thing at the time. And so I thought, whoa, what if I did this as a duet with mandolin? And so I called up this great mandolin player named Joe Brent, and we started talking about ideas. And then it turned out that the whole way that the tune is structured, you know, it has these little two-bar phrases. And so we just kind of tossed those back and forth between the two instruments. And it's it just brought new life to something that's, you know, again, so familiar. It does bring new life and, and such an interesting perspective because... It's almost like a call to alertness. You know, mm-hmm. listen to this differently, which mm-hmm. I guess is part of what you were trying to achieve with Reconsidered and the reconsideration of Scott Joplin's music. When you spoke about ragtime as the overture to the music of the 20th century, You write in your wonderful liner notes further explanation of that. Would you elaborate on why RAG was the predecessor to everything that followed? Mm -hmm. So Joplin has this very interesting musical beginning where he's growing up in Texas, and this is just a few years after the abolition of slavery. You know, it's sort of a, a new existence for black Americans. His father had been enslaved. His parents were both musical. And so the music that they know is, you know, coming from plantation life. They played the violin and the banjo. And so he's, this is the music in his home. At the same time, he's learning to play piano on pianos in the houses that his mother is cleaning. And so, you know, he's probably hearing the piano music that's being played in those homes, which is 19th century parlor music. And then by the time he's 11, he's taking music lessons from a music teacher in the town who happens to be a German Jewish immigrant. And this is, you know, classical music. So he has this foundation that's coming from two distinct places, European classical music and black American music that's coming out of the, you know, the rural South and the days of slavery. And those two things bring him to the turn of the 20th century when, you know, everything in America is shifting so fast. There's all these different streams of migration and all kinds of people are hearing other people's music for the first time. And I think that that speed and that kind of collision course of cultures is what allows ragtime to come into being because he's taking essentially a very polite European-born tradition, kind of this 19th century, you know, parlor music sound. And what happens to it is you introduce the critical component of syncopation, and it turns into something brand new. Um, that's why it's called ragtime. It came from the rag part of it, it came from ragged rhythms of, and, and this is coming out of the black tradition. And that happens really fast. And then ragtime blows up and becomes a national craze. And everyone in America is listening to ragtime. And at the same time, other things are happening. And there's this new sound coming out of New Orleans, which is called jazz. And so it's a very short window. It's a very short window into jazz and everything that comes after jazz. But without it, none of those things happen. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, and my guest is pianist Lara Downs. Her new release is Reflections, Scott Joplin Reconsidered. Have you seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. We had the privilege yeah. of seeing it on Broadway in the original mm-hmm. production, but I loved the movie as well. And mm-hmm. something you write about comes through in the movie, just this rapid speed of these currents, how quickly one flows into the next, and one form of music is passé. Ma Rainey's style will had to give way to jazz. Ragtime had to give way to jazz. Ragtime 
was not just what Joplin was about. In fact, he devoted an enormous amount of time, emotion, and money to his opera, Tremonitia, which, like its creator, sadly did not receive proper recognition at the time it was written. Lara, in Atlanta, music lovers take special pride that the world premiere of the full opera was a joint production of the Morehouse College Music Department and our Atlanta Symphony Orchestra with conductor Robert Shaw. The music is so gorgeous, and you begin this new recording with the prelude to Tremonitia. Would you tell us about the selections from the opera that you include in Reflections? Yeah, and that for me is really connected again to the life story and to, you know, the truth of what Joplin's music is. Knowing where he comes from, knowing that this classical music stays at the heart of everything he's doing, that through all the years of being the king of ragtime, you know, and innovating this new American genre and absolutely, you know, leading that movement. He's also writing operas, you know, he does not let go of his origins. And what I wanted to do is to bookend the album with that music, because I think that once you hear the music from Trimonitia, and once you understand that this is a foundational part of his music making, you can't hear the rags in the same way. You can't hear them as, you know, something superficial or lighthearted or inconsequential. They're coming really from a deep place, a, a deep musical understanding and, and a broad musical vision. The album opens with this little snippet, really, from Act Three of Trimonitia that I fashioned into a solo piano piece. beautiful writing beautiful writing and then the last track is the grand finale from his opera um, it's called a real slow drag and I wanted to kind of hand this music off to the next generation you know I think we're bringing back music from a hundred years ago and positioning it in the here and now but also sending it off on its way into the future so I asked the Brooklyn Youth Chorus to join me on that track and I just, I really, really love that that's what we end with is, I mean, you know, very literally the sound of the future in those young voices. This opera broke Scott Joplin, broke his spirit. He was in failing physical health, and he put all of his money into it. Would you talk a bit about the libretto as well? Yeah, and this is, this is an, another really clear outcome of that speed that we're talking about, the speed of the 20th century, because... He's ahead of his time with this opera, but really not by very much. You know, he's trying in 1911, he's in New York, he comes to New York to get the opera produced. In 1911, he does this read-through, which is the critical moment. He's invested all of his energy, all of his money, and he does this read-through in front of, you know, potential backers, and people literally walk out. Like, they're just not ready for this. 
1911, 10 years later, Shuffle Along is on Broadway. The Harlem Renaissance is kicking off. You know, all kinds of things are possible that were not possible in 1911. His vision, his really clear vision was to write the first black American opera. And it is specifically, you know, the, the story is a black story. It's set in the rural South. It's not making any concessions. You know, it's saying, come with me into my experience and we're going to make a grand European opera based on this. And I mean, you know, looking back, you can see why that wasn't possible at the time. I think Trimish is just about to have a revival. In fact, I just got an email this morning from my friend Damien Sneed. There's a new version of, of the opera happening and it's, it's being kind of re, well, reconsidered for the, <laughs> for the present day. But it's, it's heartbreaking to see how close he was and, and also just like how courageous he was, you know, this guy who's, who's, I mean, he has made a successful career. He's established him as, himself as the king of ragtime, but he's saying, no, 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 but I'm going to write an opera now, you know, and, and in, not in a small way, I'm going to write this big opera and yeah, just a little, a little too soon. The dynamic pianist, Laura Downs, discussing her new release, Reflections, Scott Joplin Reconsidered. We'll return with more of our conversation in just a moment. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Great to have you along. Let's return to my conversation with Lara Downs, the elegant pianist and host of NPR's Amplify with Lara Downs, has a new release titled Reflections, Scott Joplin Reconsidered. Here, she discusses the musical works Joplin wrote for his wife. So he was not lucky in love, Mr. Joplin. He um, had a first marriage that ended because their infant daughter died and, you know, the marriage fell apart. And then some years later, he met this young woman named Freddie Alexander, fell madly in love with her. And he wrote a piece called The Chrysanthemum when he was courting her. dedicated to her on the title page and it's one of his really lovely pieces and interestingly it's one that really does go back to a 19th century sort of romanticism just beautiful and then they were married and she died 10 weeks after their wedding she caught a cold and um, you know complications from the cold and she died and he wrote Bethina during that period of mourning and Bethina it's a concert waltz it's truly just Oh, I mean, it's one of the most intimate and the most lyrical and sort of profound of his pieces. And if you know the context, if you know that story, it's it's really a heartbreaker of a piece of music.
of extraordinary musicians collaborating with you throughout your projects. Would you tell us about who sings on this recording, <laughs> the solo? Yeah, so this is a great story. So, and, and it's also an, an illustration of how much there is to find and to bring into the world. So I'm just, you know, doing my, my research, making sure that I'm finding everything I want to find of Joplin's. And I found this art song called A Picture of Her Face, which he wrote early on. It was one of his first published compositions. This life is very sad to me. A sorrow fills my heart. My story I will tell to you from me, my love did part. The village church bell sadly told the one I loved had died. She was a together these lists of, of things I want to do and I just happened to be texting with my friend Will Liverman Zaberto and who at the time was in New York because he was starring in the opera Fire Shut Up in My Bones at the Met and I think now now I remember the day that we were writing back and forth that night was the performance that they were going to film for the HD broadcast oh. you know that they do in movie theaters all over and so I was saying to Will are you nervous about this you know because they're like filming in your face you know what you're doing yeah and, and he said I, I don't even know anymore if I'm nervous like we're just this opera's you know we've just been we've just been doing so much with it and we were just kind of back and forth he said what are you up to and I said oh I'm going to the studio next week I'm doing this Joplin project and he's like oh I love Joplin and I said well did you know that he wrote a song and Will's like nah I didn't write any songs <laughs> I said I, I'm sending you this song right now and so then just so luckily we, we found a date down the road in a couple weeks down the road where we can get together in the studio and record it and we had so much fun it's a beautiful little song very much a you know 19th century parlor song and will if you know will's voice and will's talent will can do anything you know will grew up singing in the black church and he sings r&b and he writes his own material including a new opera that he's writing and obviously he sings opera like nobody's business. So we just kind of let the song filter through everything that we know how to do. And it just became this timeless, beautiful love song. And I'm just so happy that it's out in the world. Oh, it is just exquisite. And I won't forget this story, Lara. I love thinking about, oh my God. Goodness, all that goes into the production of those Met HD broadcasts gives <laughs> new meaning to production. And you're talking with Will and his delight in hearing about the song. And here, yes, you birthed it. Thinking about one more piece on the recording, which is a particular favorite of mine and also figured prominently in the sting is solace it, it feels like there's a whole opera or at least a novella within the six minutes or so of that music i also think of Edward Hopper, when oh, I hear this music, I that, that, you know, it just conjures that, oh, I'm all alone in a city feeling. Mm. What's your feeling about solace? Wow, that's so interesting that you say that. So solace is actually a piece that I was playing obsessively during the early part of the pandemic. It was just like comfort to me, to myself. And then I ended up recording it and also ended up using it as the the theme music for my NPR show called Amplify. Yes, right? I know it. And then when it was time to do solace for this, 
so Solace is really interesting because he writes Solace when he's in New York. And to me, there's something about the cross currents that are coming through New York City, you know, in the early years of the 20th century. Again, like all these new things bubbling up, Tin Pan Alley and, you know, the just all of these new ideas. And he calls Solace a Mexican serenade, which it's not. Like, it's really not. You know? <laughs> if anything, there's a habanera happening. But I just thought, okay, this was his vision. You know, this is clearly some sort of exotic idea that he's got about, you know, Mexico or the great, or the, the wide west or something. We recorded Solace as a, as a guitar duet. Um, I had Joe, same artist who's on The Entertainer. And we just kind of wanted to create an atmosphere, sort of like you're out, you know, in the desert and there's a campfire and this music is keeping you company in the, you know, out, great outdoors with just the stars above. feeling of loneliness but kind of a, a comfort in the loneliness which I think your Edward Hopper imagery really says the same thing to me you know to be alone in a big city and it's almost like the loneliness is also a form of comfort in a weird way no that is its essence mm-hmm. solace and it is remarkable that that music came to you early in the pandemic with the lockdown. Lara, I thought about something. I think it was the pianist Jonathan Biss once said about Robert Schumann and his tragic life and his mental illness, which we now know bipolarity. I mean, it It could be controlled with medication, but it was a horror in his lifetime. And Jonathan Biss said there's something about Schumann that makes us want to take care of him. And I thought about that in terms of Scott Joplin and your recording. With reconsidering, Scott Joplin. Are you also restoring him to life? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. And I I love that in, in the way that it reflects on Schumann's life and so many, so many artists who struggled in their time in different ways. And really, isn't that our responsibility? You know, we keep playing their notes over and over again. Don't we also have to dig under that surface and honor who they were and who they weren't, you know, who they weren't able to be because of their time and their circumstances? And I think imagine, you know, the same way that we can imagine a Schumann living today, you know, with medication and awareness of mental health and, you know, just a different kind of a support system. And we can imagine Scott Joplin living today in a time when, a black man, a brilliant artist, someone who could bring together all of these different ideas, he would have had such a different reality. He would have been able to do the things that he wanted to do. You know, probably Freddie wouldn't have died of a cold. You Mm. know, just all of the things. And to put that possibility back into the notes, that's what I'm trying to do. Yes. Laura Downs splendid pianist and host of NPR's Amplify with Laura Downs. Reflection, Scott Joplin Reconsidered, is out now, and more information can be found on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, Music Monday continues with a new collaboration from Melvin Kindle Miles of Ebenezer Baptist Church and Rabbi Michael Lapidus. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE.
This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. During the March on Washington in 1963, Rabbi Joachim Print said, As Americans, we share the profound concern of millions of people about the shame and disgrace of inequality and injustice. The shared history of oppression of Jewish and Black Americans has bonded our communities for decades. Rabbi Michael Lapidus and vocalist Melvin Kindle Miles of Ebenezer Baptist Church created a new album together in response to injustices. Better Angels was released earlier this month. It's out now on Spotify. Both Rabbi Lapidus and Melvin Miles join me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Light. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lois. It's a delight to be here. Please tell us how you two met and connected with each other. It's an origin story that goes back to an iconic moment in the life of the Atlanta faith community, which is the Friday night of Martin Luther King weekend, when the combined choirs of the Temple and Ebenezer Baptist Church come together to sing and to worship together uh, in the beautiful sanctuary of the Temple. For a number of years, I've been the band leader and composer in residence at the Temple, and one of my compositions entitled Praying With Our Feet is sung annually at that celebration. Well, a number of years ago, it came time to sing Praying With Our Feet, and I was told, you are in for a treat. The soloist from Ebenezer who's singing Praying With Our Feet tonight is an absolutely remarkably uh, gifted and talented vocalist, and you're going to love his performance. And they undersold it, because the moment that I heard Melvin sing Praying With Our Feet, I said, this is the voice of my soul when I'm dreaming. I need to meet this person. I need to connect with this human being who understands this music on such a deep level and is able to give it not only back to me, but back to the world with such magnificent mindfulness and beauty. And so from there, our friendship was born and it continues to flourish and bear fruit to this day. Melvin, do you have any, any different recollections? Well, I appreciate that, Micah. <laughs> uh, I've only been at Ebenezer for um, about maybe eight years. And ever since I was there, we've had this collaboration every year around MLK Day, uh, his birthday, and we, come together, our choirs come together and, and sing and appreciate and love on Dr. King and uh, everything. And that's our collaboration is what brought us together. And ever since then, it took us a few years to get to where we are now, but here we are. What a tribute to you, Melvin, that Rabbi Micah said you have the voice of his soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. It really is. Thank you. There's been a lot of tragedy in recent years. I'm wondering in what ways each of you has been there for one another when our communities were hit by tragedy in these past eight years you've known each other. Well, I will say that in particular, Rabbi Micah's and our relationship grew after the tragedy with George Floyd. Micah had sent me some songs prior to maybe six months before George Floyd, and Micah reached out to me uh, to see how I was doing, and I didn't realize until at that moment how affected I was by that tragedy. And it set me down and it made me think about all of the other uh, tragedies that we've been enduring. And uh, the song that he sent me was, I Was Not Silenced. And I read over those lyrics and I saw so many of the today, today's tragedies in that song, in those lyrics. And after all of those months, I decided to uh, go ahead and put some music to it and, and present it to Micah and see what he thought about it. And that was pretty much the beginning of where we are right now. Melvin, I appreciate you recalling that uh, story of I Was Not Silence, which has been such a meaningful and important collaboration for us and one that, though it marks a specific 
uh, moment in time seems to have a kind of enduring message of resilience in the face of, of tragedy and of the challenging world in which we live. The most recent example I can think of reaching out to Melvin in a sort of more than friendly, let's make music together, we're good buddies, we love spending time together sort of way, was on actually on MLK weekend this year in response to the hostage situation at the synagogue in Colleyville, Texas. I was deeply, as the entire Jewish world was, affected by that hostage situation, in no small part because I was classmates with Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker, and I'm so grateful that we get to lift him up now as a hero and an example of a, of a, of a righteous person who, um, who exhibited such courage in that moment. But as I was just kind of wringing my hands, reading the news, wondering what to do, I said, I need to share this with someone kind of outside of my immediate circle. And though Melvin is now very much a part of my immediate circle, I sent Melvin the story I wanted him to know. I wanted him to know what was going on. And I appreciated him checking in throughout the day. And I appreciated him following up the next day to let me know how grateful he was to know that the situation had been resolved with no physical harm to any of the hostages. Mm. You wrote a song last year inspired by President Biden's inaugural speech. And that song was titled Better Angels. Why did you select that title? I think that Melvin will be most articulate on the theme of Better Angels. But what I would say is that something that I've learned through this journey, songwriting can be a lonely, composing can be a lonely enterprise sometimes, even though music is inherently communal and collaborative. A lot of the songwriting process takes place in isolation with one's own thoughts as a response to the world. At least that's the case for me. But uh, Better Angels and the story behind Better Angels illustrates to me so clearly something that I've always known to be true, but feels particularly true in, in the partnership that Melvin and I have, which is just how much stronger and better we are together. Um, so Melvin, I don't know if you want to say anything about Better Angels, what it means to you, but I would turn it over to you for sure. Well, Better Angels, the topic Better Angels uh, resonated with me because, well, the whole album is... Uh, the foundation of the album is love. And I consider God love, you know, and sometimes we have to reach out to our better angels, call upon our better angels to learn how to love each other better. And for this album to be titled that, and for the foundation of the whole entire album to be love is so special to me. And I hope that the lyrics and the words reach everyone the way that I'm feeling it. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with Melvin Kindle Miles and Rabbi Micah Lapidus about their new release, Better Angels. Let's talk about the songs in the violence in the silence. The refrain is, there's violence in silence. And it's so chilling initially, violence in the closing of our eyes. Talk about the collaboration process for these songs. Who writes the poetry? Where is the music? Please tell us. Well. Violence in the Silence is one of those other songs that I consider um, a protest song in love. There is violence in the silence of the privileged and the safe. There's violence in the silence of the ones who say 
silence of the pulpit that condones There's violence in the silence of the mouth that's full of stones Collaboration between top stellar musicians. Rabbi Micah wrote the lyrics, and uh, when we came into the studio to figure out how which which direction we was gonna go with it, there was a course uh, selection uh, part in there that we had to kind of work out together. We ended up writing the course together. So that was a collaboration uh, between us, and I, I really enjoyed it. And that was actually my first time uh, being a part of a writing session. Huh? <laughs> this song continues by offering a solution in raising our voices. that the portion that you thought best conveyed by the full chorus? Yes, absolutely. I, I think that us raising our voices and sounding the alarm is such a call to everyone, everyone who, who's afraid, who is fearing what's next or what could come of them speaking out and using their voices. It's a call to you are okay. You're not alone. We're here together. We're going to stand with you as you use your voice. There is no need to be afraid. I mean, well, there is some need to be afraid, but force yourself to go past that fear and use your voice because there is so much more of a need in our world and in our country for us to be silenced. What can you tell us about Swim, Swim, Swim? Well, this song is a very special song to me as well. All of the songs are special, but the way this song was arranged reminded me of my childhood, the church that I grew up in, where I grew up and my family grew up. There was an old song that the rhythm is kind of like that, and the songs kind of are similar. The song is running, 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 Lord, I can't tarry, and swim, 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 is basically saying the same thing. You have to keep running, you have to keep swimming. There's no stopping, you have to keep persisting. Swim, 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 until you get to the other side. If the waters don't part, we gotta swim, swim, swim. If the waters don't part, we gotta swim, swim, swim. If the waters don't part, we gotta swim, swim, swim. If the sun don't shine well, the sky won't fall. Where the wicked rule, may we break their thrall. Where the oceans rage, may we heed the call. Swim, swim, swim. The water's gonna part. Yeah. Micah? Regarding swim, 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 I have to just say that one of the things that I think is a real source of strength for me and Melvin is the fact that we come from two different faith backgrounds, two different stories, two different journeys, and that the cross section, the place where we meet is incredibly fertile ground. That place of sort of prophetic faith, the belief that the way that the world is and the way that the world can be, that we can, we can close that gap through our deeds, through our choices, through our being willing to look with open eyes at the realities that are around us and to say to ourselves and one another, you can do better. And so the fact that Melvin comes at this with his journey rooted in, but not only from the Baptist tradition that I come at this from, uh, from Jewish tradition, from Reformed Judaism, 
that a lot of these songs have either an explicit or an implicit current of faith that runs through them. And our hope is that rather than turning off those who say, well, religion or spirituality isn't for me, we hope that this shows them a side of religion and spirituality that is relevant, that is both comforting, but also challenging. And that is ultimately, we think, a necessary part of the of the constellation of elements that will move us forward as, as communities and as a society. And Swim, Swim, Swim uh, really, I think, captures that for the reasons that Melvin said in terms of the music, but also in terms of the imagery and the message of resilience. Those are things that are just deeply embedded in Judeo-Christian faith traditions. Yes. The band on the album includes many musicians from Ebenezer Baptist Church. What can you tell us about them and why you wanted to include these musicians? I'll have Melvin introduce the band. <laughs> well, the band at uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church, we, we have, like I said before, some stellar top-notch musicians in our midst, and I'm honored to be friends with them. The first uh, musician that I wanted to tell you about was Daniel Moore. He is a keyboardist and he's the uh, music director for Mariah Carey. And oh my! <laughs> yes, yes, and he's the music director at Ebenezer Baptist Church here in Atlanta. Well, there's some cred. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And then we have Brandon Gilliard. Uh, who is the bass guitarist on the album. He's also the bass guitarist at Ebenezer, and he does some touring with different artists. He's always somewhere. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Terrell Saz, who is a producer, music producer, uh, Grammy-nominated music producer and percussionist, and uh, he he's also everywhere. <laughs> So these musicians are very special, and I'm I'm so honored to have them a part of our project because it's not easy to find good musicians who also believe in your message. Very much so. And Melvin, you also want to mention, I know, uh, Will Robertson. Right, Will Robertson. He was the engineer for the album. He is also a Grammy-nominated producer and engineer. Your friendship transcends race and religion. This is central to your music and reflects your shared commitment to combat the evil of racism, of hatred. Your relationship also reveals a long-standing tradition of Atlanta's Jewish and Black Christian communities working together since the early days of the civil rights era. Did you reflect on this while creating this album? Very much so. Uh, Melvin and I have remarked to each other on more than one occasion that we stand on the sturdiest of shoulders. Talk about an unshaking foundation, not only between the temple and Ebenezer Baptist Church, but between Jewish community and Black community, not only in Atlanta, but around the world. And I think that part of what is resonating in our very personal and very specific relationship, the two of us, is that it reminds people of that broader context. And the Black-Jewish relationship in America, while not free of, of challenges and complexities, is fundamentally joyful, is fundamentally about standing arm in arm, is fundamentally about about intersectionality. It's about injustice anywhere. It's a threat to justice everywhere. It's about the single garment of destiny. All of the things that Dr. King and Rabbi Rothschild and Rabbi Heschel and hundreds of others, thousands of others spoke for, marched for, lived for, in some cases died for. And we feel the wind of all of that um, at our backs pretty much every time that we're together. And that is a source of profound strength for both of us. Mm -hmm. We see the proof that we're better together standing side by side, arm in arm, hand in hand, crossing those bridges. I mean, we see the proof. We see it. We saw it back in the civil rights and we just saw it again last year. Well, in 2020, when we all came together to get rid of, you know, some someone who is who is not good for our country. <laughs> so we 
we we're we're better together. We can do some things together if we can just stand together and love each other enough and better enough to you know put aside our differences, our diversities, our cultural backgrounds, put aside that and come together so we can do some good things in our world. Singer Melvin Kendall Miles, a soloist at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and Rabbi Micah Lapidus, musician and director of Jewish and Hebrew studies at the Davis Academy. Better Angels is available now and can be streamed on Spotify. More information will be on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Finally today, Actors Express launched a five-year commissioning program focusing on emerging Atlanta playwrights. Each playwright will have an entire year to develop their plays. The process includes workshops and development resources, as well as private and public readings. Inclusivity is a huge focus. Actors Express wants to lift up the voices of BIPOC women and LGBTQIA playwrights, as well as their intersectional experiences. Quinn Xavier Hernandez is the first to receive a commission. By the end of this five-year cycle, Actors Express expects to have five completed full-length plays. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., we'll celebrate International Women's Day with the story of feminist trailblazer and activist Polly Murray, plus the youngest certified farmer in Georgia. Six-year-old Kendall Ray Johnson tells us about agroculture, her Southwest Atlanta urban farm. If you missed part of today's show, you can catch up on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Troves. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at LOIS. R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to W-A-B-E Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.